Good morning. I am Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. We are so happy to have back this week to our program uh, Miss Lisa Welchman, the founding partner of Welchman Pierpoint, and she has this great paper uh, that talks about the digital DECA 10 management truths for the web page. Lisa, welcome back to the program. Thanks. It's good to be back. So we were talking uh, about uh, the 10 uh, management truths. Now, when you go into an organization and uh, someone has uh, uh, said, we should have Lisa, Ms. Welshman come in to talk to us about these 10 management truths, and you go into an organization that has some serious, serious significant issues, what is the reception when you, when you first talk to them about these 10 management truths and how they're managing their website and their web governance? Well, it depends on who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to um, someone in the inner workings of the, the website on the web team itself, they just nod their head because they know. They're in this mess and they understand that there are challenges. Um, more frequently what happens is we're talking to someone in the senior leadership team or maybe someone even the executive C-suite and they're stunned because they really had no idea of the depth of the challenge of managing the web presence and it kind of snuck up on them there's sort of a maturity cycle that goes along in terms of web operations management, which is you have to get a certain critical mass of applications and content on the server and people participating in it before you start having management problems. So early on when it first started and maybe there was, you know, a couple people got a domain name and they put some stuff online, it wasn't a big deal. But as it's matured over time, these have become serious operational marketing tools for the organization, and they're really just in a quagmire, and a lot of executives just don't, aren't aware that their lack of participation in terms of setting direction for the web is really causing a problem. So there's a lot of battles and fighting going on underneath them, and they're not really aware of it. And do they have to pull in HR at this point to try to help them understand what's going on with the culture and if there's training that's going to be involved, or, or do they bring in HR later? That's really an interesting question that you're asking because I would say most of the time, unless we're dealing with an internal intranet employee-facing site, and even sometimes then, HR is absent. So the, it's just a, a really indi big indicator that they're not really understanding the depth of the impact of this technology on the organization. If HR is there, it's usually because it's an internal intranet site, but in terms of thinking of change management and kind of a mindset change and a cultural change in the organization, when we've had the opportunity to talk to HR folks, their eyes kind of light up and they think, well, of course. Mm -hmm. But um, they didn't think of themselves. Another group inside the organization that should be more engaged than they are, particularly with the risk mitigation and, and policy, is legal. Right. right. They really, when you start explaining to them the risk associated with their online behaviors, um, particularly in organizations that are supposed to be information disseminators and authoritative information disseminators, and you start to expose to them some things like content, content redundancies or conflicting content on web servers, you know, for either pharmaceutical products or health-related information, they're horrified. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is all a result of the internal battles where there are redundant processes and redundant output of the same content, but slightly different. So you can imagine a consumer or a citizen looking at that information and being confused. And so that's when it really starts to become a true risk. 
You know, recently, about a year ago, I was at the Buying and Selling e-Content Conference in uh, Arizona, and we were talking about Twitter. And um, someone raised the issue of employees tweeting about a product introduction that hasn't happened yet. Oh, my goodness. And I just raised my hand. I said, you know, uh, having worked on, on Wall Street, uh, working with Dow Jones, you know, information about publicly held companies, uh, information that's going to be disseminated to the, to the market has to be disseminated at the same time. Right. And someone putting out a tweet to a limited audience and not doing a press release, that's just going to cause you a lot of problems with the SEC. Mm-hmm. And folks said, well, we never thought about it like that. That's, you know? the, that's like a refrain. We never thought about it like that. Right, <laughs> right, right. So it, it's, that, that was okay for a while, and it was, I think it was crucial that it's like regulatory things. No one wants something that's just spawning to be heavily, heavily reg, regulated because it kind of squashes the innovation right, right? and the right. creativity. Right. But at a certain point, once something has reached a critical mass, if you don't regulate it even lightly, it will, chaos will ensue. I think, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot when I think about the web and its growth are various organic models. And so if you think about something like a fungus out in nature, nothing. There's right. no plant or anything that can just grow willy-nilly without it being trimmed back. You know, if you don't do that to a plant, it gets stringy. If you don't do that, you know, there, there's control mechanisms that need to, to be in place in order for it to remain healthy. Right. And so I think that's a similar thing of what's going on in the organization is uh, your website's gro- grown and it's... Uh, it's a little bit chaotic, and so you need to put some controls and kind of prune back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, how many meetings, do, uh, when you go into a new, a new prospective client, uh, how many meetings do you uh, have to go back to before they decide, you know what, this is something that we need to do? I would say um, it really depends. I think that the first meeting that we have with them, if we can talk to them, they realize this is something that we need to do. The biggest challenge for us is that no one has a line item in their budget for web governance. Right. They have technology. They have graphical design. In fact, one of the things that I say frequently is the way people try to fix the web in their organization, people are aware that their websites are a mess, right? But if you go out and you talk to an interactive agency and you say, my website's a mess, the first thing they're going to say is, well, do a redesign, right? If you go and you talk to an IT-focused company and you say, my website's a mess, they're going to say, well, get a new infrastructure technology like portal software or your search engine's horrible or you have the wrong web web content management system. So you go through a few cycles of that, which you have line item budgets for, right, (laughs) for redesigns and technology, but neither of those are going to fix operational concerns. Right. Right. right? And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of like in between those two bookends of, of fabulous design, which you need, it's very crucial for an organization to have an appropriate design factor and an appropriate information architecture, as well as an appropriate, you know, network and server infrastructure and web tools and applications. But you also have to have appropriate business processes and governance, which you have for any other process in your business, we would hope, right? Right. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And um, you find that the CEO becomes the, the champion of the project to lead it through the organization, or do you find that maybe it's one of someone else in the C-suite? I think it's usually the CIO, mm-hmm. or if there's a chief marketing officer or a director of marketing for the organization, one of those two people is, is usually the champion um, in that organization. And I would say, it, historically, it used to be more balanced, and now it's moving more towards the marketing communication side 
of it. I think there's some challenges with that, but um, that's the direction that it's going in. But that person, once they've latched onto it, realizes because the result of not having an effective web governance scenario in your organization is that it's really a pain to manage the site. There's constant battling, constant fighting about what design, what is this group allowed to do in that. Like every time you have a project, you have to make these core decisions. Right, right. When you do web governance, you make the decision once. And then maybe occasionally there's a sticky project, but for the day-to-day things, it doesn't have to be. We've got to have a, a you know, a committee, you know, making decisions about things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In your paper, you talk about coherence. What is coherence, and why is that something that a CEO should be concerned about? Well, when I think about coherence, I'm really thinking about coherence between your digital business and your physical world business, and coherence in terms of understanding that what I referred to before, that there's been a substantial change that's occurred. So you've got a business model that's 40 years old or 30 years old or 100 years old, depending on the business, you know, in some cases maybe only 20 years old, right? And that business model was probably made pre-web. And now it's post-web, and you have the same business model. So there's some incoherence around what's actually going on in the business world and your business model, and I think... The media publishing industry is a really good example of that, and it, it's um, it was it was great this morning um, that I saw in the newspaper that People magazines decided to to go ahead and uh, allow online access to their magazine to people who subscribe to the physical copy. You get it, right? I mean, like I, this industry just drives me crazy. That's, yeah. So to me, that's like a slam dunk. You should have done that a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. Or if you're a newspaper. You should have maybe thought about your business model before you gave all your news away for free. Mm-hmm. And so now people are used to that, and it's hard. So this coherence of having a coherent business model that actually reflects what's happening in the world as opposed to what was happening in the world 30 years ago. But the newspaper industry, recently I had uh, Ken Doctor on the program. He's the author of Newsonomics. Mm-hmm. He's also an outsell analyst. And um, you know he was talking about the, the way that the, uh, the newspaper industry just completely missed the boat. And that speaks to them really understanding and embracing the web back in the 90s and not having web governance. Um, But they're still not really looking at web governance. Do you have clients in the newspaper industry? I've worked with one client a few years back in the newspaper industry, and it was really difficult. And the the core challenge was, I think that's past now, the core challenge for them was they were too afraid to get off of the old model because it so much leveraged classified revenue, right? And right. at that time, I think Craigslist was ramping but hadn't quite ramped up right. already in those sorts of models. So it was almost like a, um, a, a combination of fear and just not wanting to believe that something so fundamental had changed. Right. Right. right? And I think that has a lot to do with leadership and, and the types of leaders that need to be in place now. You can't be fearful of making a significant change because a significant change has already happened underneath you. You're just changing to align with it. And so now it's not, it's not even a mystery anymore. Back then, maybe it wasn't really clear what to do, right? It was like early on, early 90s. It wasn't really clear what was going to actually happen. But now it's very clear. So people who are kind of stubbornly digging their heels in and, you know, saying, you know, we have this Bible of paper, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, we're going to make our business model align with that. They're just not in the reality of what's going on. I think 
you know, I'm, you know, in my mid-40s, so I grew up on paper. So unlike, you know, my son, who's not grown up on paper. And so I have a certain, you know, heart thump for a newspaper, right? But the reality is that's not, the paper is not the information, right? Right. And so you have to just look forward and see how are people consuming. You have to look at the digital native population that are coming up over the hill very, very quickly with a completely different set of practices and ways that they get information. And so examining that, particularly if you're distributing media and getting creative and understanding what your core values are. Your core values are not put ink on paper and give it to people. It's to put out quality information, quality news, quality entertainment, to have people consume it and buy it from you. That's got nothing to do with a platform or a channel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at it, it's like the, the leadership in some of these industries have really, I don't want to say they have had their head in the sand, um, but they were just hoping that their model would just continue. If you look at the music industry, the music industry and the uh, uh, newspaper industry is so similar in regards to not really uh, embracing the digital technology. Yeah, the music industry, I always like to say they got iTunes. And right. it, it, it's super <laughs> pathetic because it's, and you know, maybe that's a strong word, but the thing was that whole Napster fiasco showed the music industry what the consumer wanted. It, it, it laid it out for them. And so right. they had two possible reactions. Their reaction was, we're going to sue them. Right. They should have invested more energy into, oh my goodness, people want to get music like that. We own the rights to the music and the distribution channel right now. Let's take advantage of that and make a new product. You know, right? So they didn't do that, which is kind of mind-boggling right. think about it. Uh, there's a gentleman who's a friend of mine. He, he used to be president of Wind Up Records, Steve Lerner. And um, he, he had groups Creed and Evidence. Evidence and, and he had said to me back in, what was it, back in 98, 99, he said the fundamental problem uh, that the music industry had was that the music executives did not have a PC on their desk. That's exactly right. So, so, so they, they didn't understand it at all. And uh, so now we're so many years later, and they're still struggling with it. Well, you know, you asked if they had their head in the sand, and I would say some of them probably did have their heads in the sand. The other one had their fingers in their ears going, la, 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 right. trying to pretend that it wasn't really happening. Right. And there's the demographic thing, and it's, I don't want to sound ageist, sure, but sure. <laughs> they're not a digital native population. Right. Almost everyone in the executive suite, almost, that's not that much true, as true as it used to be grew their career prior to the web, so it's not on their radar screen. Some people, when they get up there, develop a little bit of hubris mm-hmm. and think, well, if I don't get it, it's probably not really that important to understand. I'm in charge. And then, on top of it, the thing that's supposed to check them, which would be in a you know, public company, the board, right, that <laughs> they're even older. Right. <laughs> they're right. even older and less right. probably in tune with the technology. Right. So they're thinking, yeah, they're just doing a fine job. So kind of nobody's at home who's web savvy mm-hmm. <laughs> up there. I'm on the um, uh, advisory board for a group called the Internet Strategy Forum, mm-hmm. and its focus is helping organizations understand that somewhere in their management mix they need an Internet strategist, and that's someone who is both business savvy as well as web savvy, right. who can make that connection and say, look, 
you guys have this. Here are some opportunities that we can have here. There's a, a sort of raging debate going on about whether or not there should be a chief web officer. <laughs> I, I like to apply Occam's razor to anything and mm-hmm. would say, no, you don't need a, a chief web officer. You don't need another person in the C-suite. The only reason why we feel like that is because the CIO isn't doing their job and the CEO isn't doing their job. Right. Well, what we need are web-enabled C-suite executives. Right. So that either can happen through education, and I found it can happen through education very quickly. Mm -hmm. Once you lay the digital DECA out in front of them and explain the risk to the business in business language, they get it. Right, right, right. Well, you have a fantastic, fantastic message, and uh, I'm looking forward to helping you get your message out there because I think that if we can get more of our American companies to act more web-savvy, that we can get this economy going back again. Um, we, have yeah. a, we have a lot of, st- we're having a lot of uh, stalling in, in our economy, and I think that we're not really innovating as we should. I agree with that. I mean, it's interesting that you bring up the um, kind of, you know, national component of it, and one of my heroes, <laughs> one of my um, thought leader heroes is um, Demings, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the work that he did in Japan last mid century in the 50s, um, helping them talk about quality, which subsequently made us lose our position in terms of leaders in the automobile industry. That's right. And so there's a similar dynamic going on. And if you go back and you look at his work, everything applies, Mm -hmm. right? And just the message that if you focus on creating a quality, high-integrity product that people want, that naturally you will gain efficiencies. Right. And sell more product. Yes. And so I think that sort of message and the message that goes along with it, particularly with the World Wide Web, which is worldwide, and the types of services that are starting to happen in the cloud, we can very easily lose more of our competitive advantage if we just kind of function Wild West like we are and don't focus on this quality component of it. And so that's a, a huge challenge. And I think a lot of businesses aren't understanding the breadth of that. Right. Right, right. You know, I'm looking at the uh, science, technical, medical publishing industry. And uh, what I've been saying to a number of my industry colleagues is that this industry is moving way too slow. For example, in 2002 at the uh, American Association of Publishers Professional Scholarly Publishing Division annual meeting, they actually had a session debating whether or not books were going to be online or not. And uh, which shows you that they're just now as a group, getting all of their books online now. It's 2010. Mm-hmm. How much productivity was lost? How much research um, could not be done because people could not get access to the information in an effective manner? So I've said to my, my industry colleagues there, uh, we need to speed things up or else someone is going to introduce a new publishing model that's going to turn this industry on its head. That's correct. And I think, you know, People are very covetous or envious of their information sometimes, and they're used to sharing it in a more controlled way. And I found that, you know, researchers are and academics are very, very interesting because they are um, super smart and very focused and creative in down that channel, but not thinking about the broader picture of right. things. Mm-hmm. So it's an, interesting, it's an interesting dynamic to deal with sometimes in large research organizations or science-based organizations, health, health-related organizations, dealing with that particular demographic. And 
Um, a lot of them are, again, like the record companies, are built their careers prior to the web. They're used to sharing their information in certain ways and building their relationships that way. But there's a, a younger generation of researchers and scientists coming out of the gate who want to collaborate wildly. Right. I mean, there are things that they need to be concerned about in regards to IP and patents and trademarks as to, you know, who's going to get credit. And then we need to think about how do we manage that as well. But like the NIH just issued out these, what they call these CTSA awards, Clinical Translation Science Awards, where they're giving money to universities to say, we want you to collaborate with other CTSA organizations so that we can move research faster. Yeah, and that's and it, it should make their hearts beat faster as well because the whole idea is to find the next innovative tool that's going to save a life or cure this disease or whatever the case may be, and so speeding that up. But like anyone else, if you work in a job for a certain amount of time, you get kind of bogged down in your process, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you start believing it's like you know the 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 you know Buddhists are always saying you know the finger pointing at the moon, right? Right. So it really is. We don't want the finger pointing at the womb. We want the actual moon, which is the solution or the innovation that needs to happen. And people are focused on this other piece, just like the, the media is focused on, oh, we've got to have a magazine that I can feel or a piece of paper that I can feel. It's like, no, you need to get people to buy this information from you. Right. Right. So we need to, in that genre, get people to collaborate and push around these discrete um, test results and, and ideas and innovations that are coming out so that, you know, spontaneously, right, they can come up with a solution or an idea that may lead to a solution. So instead of these set kind of like annual conferences that right. we know are going to happen right. over and over again, yes. how about all of a sudden we just decide because there's eight researchers who sort of are onto the same thing that we're going to go rent a house somewhere and just duke this out. Exactly. Right? That's going to th- make things move a lot faster and will be more about the actual mission than it is about the structures. You know, it's 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 really organizing this crowdsourcing. So you put a that, you put a challenge out to or question or problem out to a crowd, and somewhere in the crowd, there's there's the answer. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. The web is making humanity find out what it really is. Yes. So, what are you? Are you really about trying to figure out what the solution to this disease is, or are you interested in your own prestige? Mm-hmm. Are you interested? And I know that's a kind of a harsh thing to say because people getting published in certain periodicals right. may allow them to retain their job or get tenure. That's right. That makes a huge difference. So when we talk about the digital DECA, those mechanisms, people need to be rewarded for collaborating instead of rewarded for getting six articles in that periodical series. That's correct. That right? is so correct. Changing that formalization of authority and how people get paid and rewarded is crucial. And that's why it's really an executive's job to enable the organization to function in the digital world. Mm-hmm. That can't be done by the research scientists. They can't change their own reward structure. Right, right. That is so true. That is so true. And let's, let's talk about uh, your future plans for your business. Um, I, I know that you, you have this paper that you have uh, written. Are you thinking about uh, making a book out of it? Because I think that there's a lot of information that you can share about the digital DECA and the 10 management truths in the web area. Yeah, as I said before, I was surprised that um, so many people that I didn't know downloaded it. And I know there's been a call from our client base and just from a reaction to, uh, I understand what you're saying, but can you give me a book or something that I could give to my CEO and they could read? Mm-hmm. 
So mm-hmm. I, I'm in the process of putting together some ideas to put together kind of, you know, a short airplane book that you can read quickly mm-hmm. about wh- why this is important and why we need this to move forward and, and to remain competitive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, just out of curiosity, how many pages do you think it might be when you're done? Oh, man, that's a hard, hard question. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm really long-winded. I'm hoping, I'm hoping not to be too long, maybe no more than 150. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a lot for some or a little for for others. It really depends. I like to I like to write. So you know, and and, and and speaking about the digital deca, I wanted to compliment you on the presentation. Whoever did the graphics uh, for your your digital deca presentation, it's beautiful. It's it's very it's very soft but very powerful. And yeah, we worked with a great illustrator um, on our end here, um, Brian, and he uh, really did a great job. And uh, it, it was kind of fun. I, I wanted it to be accessible to people, and I really wanted to have a picture book quality to it because it's hard to read lots of words. Right. And there's not a lot of words in there, and I think a picture does, you know, tell a story. It does. It really does. I have a, I have a nephew, Kadir Nelson, who's a renowned uh, children's book illustrator, and I uh, shared it with him, and he, he was really impressed with, uh, with the layout it's, it, of, of, the, of the presentation. So moving on, let's talk about some of your heroes. When you think about leadership, who are some of your heroes? Um, I've got a few heroes when it comes to leadership. Um, just for my, myself, um, I'm really interested in uh, Anita Roddick, who founded Body Shop, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, Pramal Shah and uh, Matt Flannery, who did Kiva. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, there's some other obvious ones that I... I that are fun and like Steve Jobs that are just clear who are technology focused ones. I, I like him for his creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the other ones I really like because there's a, a balance between social responsibility and making a profit. And Kiva, I know that's all, you know, generosity on the side, but there's a certain amount of innovation in that and risk taking, right? Because they're new in incredible ideas, and particularly with the Neat Erotic and, and Body Shop, mm-hmm. just the proof that you can actually have a an ethical, sensible, high-quality product that you can sell that isn't doing bad things in the world. And, and I make think, a profit. <laughs> yeah, and make a profit at the same time. And I think that's really what's going to be um, happening. And with the, the Kiva folks, just the idea that you can enable people through entrepreneurship. Right, so you're going around the world and you're helping people, you know, put product into their shop. We're big Kiva donators, and um, I really believe strongly in that. These are people who have already shown initiative or already have businesses who just need a little bit of help, which to us is very easy to give, to push themselves um, forward. And I think it's a very, very excellent use of the World Wide Web, which I'm hoping will be a great world balancer. Excellent, excellent. And uh, do you have a favorite book on leadership? Do I have a favorite book on leadership? Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think uh, I'm very, very interested in Eastern philosophy, and I think the book that I've probably been reading the longest in my life um, that I get a lot of inspiration um, from is the Tao Te Ching. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people talk about the art of war, but I don't like to think of business as war. Right. <laughs> I have to... I like, <laughs> I, although I, I get it some, on some particular days, but yeah. um, there's a, a kind of a little bit of a softer idea. Sure. You don't always have to be up in the front running, banging the drum loudest. 
Right. But right. you have to be always noticing. So I get a lot of inspiration um, from that, which maybe isn't a traditional leadership book, but I think there's some good qualities on on leadership not necessarily means that you're going to be the biggest show-off. That's right. That's right. Right. It means that sometimes someone doesn't even notice that you're there. And so I think that's a really effective message for people to to understand, um, as well as profitability. Is, is, is the construct that's around you as leader operating well? That's right. That's right. Functionally, they don't have to say, oh, wow, it's Lisa. She does all this great stuff. It's just like, wow, you know, Welchman Pierpoint does great work. Right. Right, all around. So that's I think right. that's uh, a... Um, a strong but passive approach. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When, uh, when, when, we, when we have you back on a program, I like to talk to you more about the art of war because uh, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> uh oh, we can duke it out. <laughs> that's right. But <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's not about because um, the whole premise of the art of war is to not fight. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. But yeah. I guess it's the title that gets people all riled up. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've read. Well, people interpreted that as way right. as well. You know, business is. Is war, and I think that's really what's interesting about this, about the web, is it equalizes right. things right. in a way that's very profound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Lisa, we are running out of time, and this has been such a great uh, interview with you. Are there any other thoughts that you would like, or ideas on leadership that you would like to leave with our audience? Um, despite the fact that I've been talking all this time, I would say <laughs> one of the things that I knew but really didn't understand and, and incorporate maybe until a couple of years ago was that you should listen more than you talk. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Right? Excellent. So, yeah. It'll frequently we get in leadership positions and we're authorities and experts on things and we don't really hear what people are saying either, whether they're our employees or clients or as we've been talking about this whole time, what the market's saying. Right. 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 Well, that is good. And I tell you, when I ask my guests that question, listening is one of the key characteristics that always comes up. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lisa, I really want to thank you for your time over the last two weeks to, to interview you in regards to the digital DECA and the 10 management truths for the web age. And it has been such a great opportunity to, to meet you as well. So I want to thank you for coming on the program. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, there you have it, folks, the 10 Management Truths for the Web Age. Look for the book. Hopefully, I'm going to encourage uh, Lisa to write that book because I think that America and the world can learn a, gr- a, lot, a lot from her on that, on, that, on that subject. So this is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net located on the beautiful campus of Seton Hall University. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership. Have a great week. Remember, leadership begins with you.